Hello, and welcome to the Commotion Mobility Podcast, your regular glimpse into the future of urban transportation. I'm your host, Greg Lindsay, Director of Strategy for LA Commotion, and today I'm joined by Jan Lariche, CEO of Transdev North America and head of its autonomous transportation systems. Thank you for joining us, Jan. Good morning. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I, there's so much to talk about when it comes to Transdev, considering its massive global scale of operations and, of course, all of its different arms. Um, but I wanted to start, uh, particularly given your job title, by asking about the company's uh, ongoing test pilots in autonomous vehicles. And I think I, I think our listeners probably know better than most, but you know that most people who've ridden an autonomous vehicle to date in the United States have probably ridden in one of Tronstev's bright red shuttles, uh, powered, of course, by software with EasyMile, its partner, rather than in some autonomous SUV. And those shuttles are, of course, deployed all, all across America, um, including Babcock Ranch, Florida, an interesting suburban development, which I want to ask about in a moment. Um, but as a way of, I guess, sort of keying off this podcast, I was hoping you could talk a bit about uh, what you've learned from your various deployments because yeah I think I don't think a company has a broader deployment uh, in terms of universities cities uh, all these different environments uh, or perhaps more miles logged in terms of autonomous vehicles so so I guess as a short answer version of, or a short version of that is what have you learned from your AV vehicle research and testing and deployment to date yeah we've learned a lot actually uh, we've learned that uh the uh, possibilities offered by autonomous vehicles are, are, are tremendous. Um, and we've learned also that um, drivers in our vehicle do much more than driving. We knew it, uh, but when you really start to uh, imagine a service without drivers, uh, which doesn't mean that we don't have any people in, in the vehicle, uh, you start to realize that a lot of activities that are handled today by drivers will have to find a, a different solution in the future. I will just give you one or two examples. Today, uh, when kids misbehave in the back of the bus, uh, the driver can say, hey, if you don't calm down, I won't continue to run. And, uh, and kids usually start to behave. In the future, how are we going to manage those kind of situations if we don't have any driver or anyone in the vehicle? Uh, we do not believe that it will be uh, as easy as uh, having, I don't know, a camera or uh, loudspeaker and microphones in the uh, in the vehicle. We will have to find uh, ways to uh, to manage those kind of situations because in our case, we want to develop new uh, innovative services with autonomous vehicles, but shared services, meaning that transporting many people at the same time which is uh, something which is more challenging, of course, than just transporting one person. Yeah, so the example you gave there of a school bus, that's not a hypothetical. I think it was last month that Transdev announced at Babcock Ranch, Florida, which is, a, for those of you who don't know, is a, a massive new planned development arising near Fort Myers, Florida, which is, of course, going to be sustainable. It's powered by clean, renewable energy. But Transdev is supplying all the mobility on site and you unveiled the world's first autonomous school bus. So I was hoping you could talk a bit more about that, about already, I mean, the school year's underway, about uh, you know how the children approach that, um, how the caregiver works for that. I mean, that strikes me as the first of, of many dedicated autonomous services that we could see for the elderly, for the disabled, and for others. So what, what inspired you to launch that particular service first, and, and how's it going? I mean, first, you're right. Uh, before we speak about mobility, Babcock Ranch is, is unique. I mean, it, it's a new city. 
um, the goal is, is to have a city which is totally sustainable and, and running on clean energy. Um, solar panels uh, are there in, in, in huge quantity. And, um, and the goal is also there to invent the mobility of the future for those kind of uh, sustainable uh, communities. And, um, and there is a school here and, uh, we have started to think, hey, how can we best serve the, 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 the kids? And on our side, as mentioned, the goal is to really imagine and invent the services of the future. And the best way to know if people will like the service that we think about is not to uh, to stay in our offices and, and, and then to work on PowerPoint. It's to go on the field and and start a test uh, as we do currently in the Babcock Range and see how the kids uh, behave and if they like the service, if the parents uh, are also, uh, um, I mean, uh, thinking that this can be also a, a good solution uh, to transport their kids. And what is quite interesting uh, about this service and, and more globally about all the uh, experiments that we made so far is that uh, after each of them, we make a survey. We ask people, uh, did you feel safe? Uh, did you enjoy the ride? I mean, many questions like this. And globally, the satisfaction level is very, very high. Uh, we are above 95% on average of uh, people who are satisfied. If you read in the press any other uh, large surveys which have been made by any uh, global consultancy company or whatever, about do people are willing uh, are people willing to uh, to uh, to to, um, to travel in the future in autonomous vehicles? You will see uh, that uh, on average the results are very different. Uh, so it depends on the countries, but uh, in many places people say, "Hey, we're not so sure. Um, uh, safety is an issue. Uh, we'll see uh, how the comfort is." I mean, it's, it's not really a, a global excitement. And what is interesting is that probably uh, the difference comes from the fact that those people do not really know what uh, an autonomous car, an autonomous shuttle is. But once you try uh, it, you see uh, how it feels to be in, in those kind of vehicles. And for the moment, as the speed is quite low, uh, it, it's a real success. Fascinating. Yeah, I think it's, it's, it's really interesting that people seem to assume, or, or the obvious assumption by the OEMs is that autonomous vehicles will be SUVs and people riding in the back seat. And I think it's been really interesting that Transdev has bet on the sort of shuttle format and, and all of these various services. It's uh, based on my work, work for LA Commotion and for, uh, for others like the Bloomberg Philanthropies. You know, it strikes me that autonomy will be realized as infrastructure and these dedicated services uh, ultimately, or you know, that, that you know, the autonomous vehicle is a horseless carriage kind of thing and that these services represent at least the intermediate evolution of it. The other question I would ask is, is, is you know, have you learned anything in, in your deployments? Uh, I think a lot of people assume that autonomous vehicles will be urban, they'll be done in dense environments, particularly because the business models for doing ride hailing, whether it's, you know, whether it's Uber or Lyft or whether it's Waymo or Ford, um, you know, depends on this. But it, I mean, obviously, America is suburban uh, and your de interesting deployments like Babcock Ranch are suburban. So I'm, I'm curious, you know, do you think, you know, what do you think the ultimate form factor of autonomous vehicles for suburban America looks like? Is it more like Babcock Ranch and, and scaling up from there or, uh, or, or yeah, how, how do you think it'll be deployed in sort of, you know, large scale American suburbs? You know, uh, there was a global discussion about uh, where and how we should uh, use uh, autonomous vehicles. And, and 
And I would say that there is no good or bad answers, but, but uh, really there are arguments uh, depending on what uh, globally, I mean, cities or territories or, or, or communities want to achieve. Um, before we, we speak about uh, suburban uh, environments, let's speak about cities. Uh, if we look at what autonomous cars will offer today, they will offer cars which are much more attractive than the car of today. Um, if you don't drive anymore, you get free time uh, to be on your computer, on your book, on your looking at a movie or, or whatever. And, and if cars are much more attractive, the, the, the probability that people spend much more time on them, uh, in them than today is quite high. Uh, several studies have been made so far. I have in mind one, which is very interesting from uh, Berkeley, and to, uh, to try to assess how people would, you know, overuse their car if they become autonomous, they made something very simple, very interesting. They say, hey, we are going to uh, offer for free a driver, a human being, a real driver, uh, to uh, some people, some families uh, in, uh, in San Francisco. Uh, a real driver is the best way you know, to um, simulate what an autonomous car of the future will be. And the outcome of this study is that people use their car 80% more than today. Um, so that's quite interesting. Uh, you, we see that, yeah, uh, with a better product, a better um, tool uh, to move to, to go from A to B, people use it more. It's not totally a surprise, but the 80% is quite powerful. So uh, that's why uh, at Transdev, we want to uh, develop services which are shared, because if we just replace the single occupancy car of today by a simple occupancy autonomous car in the future, traffic jams are probably uh, in front of us and, and might be a, a strong issue in the streets of the future. So yes, uh, depending on what uh, people and, and territories, communities want to achieve, uh, we need to be uh, careful and to think through that uh, those challenges. In urban environments, clearly there is this uh, congestion issue, which is probably less the case in uh, in, uh, in other places where the density is lower. And, and yes, we strongly believe that in those um, places like uh, Babcock Ranch, but other you know suburbs, uh, autonomous vehicles have probably a future which is um, easier to imagine because uh, even if the usage increases a bit, uh, we can still manage the, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the congestion, which doesn't mean that uh, all territories will be able to uh, accommodate with an increase of 80%. So here we have to think through and, and really uh, make sure that the services of the future are um, compatible with the political project of uh, those uh, cities or uh, uh, suburbs. Well, speaking of those political projects, that maps nicely onto research, for example, by Regina Clulo at Populous, uh, whose work into looking at, you know, uh, you know, ride hailing, for example, it's cannibalization of transit. I mean, she's argued that, yeah, in, in cities where transit is high, uh, you know, ride hailing today is already competitive and, and predatory upon it, while in, in, you know, less dense areas where public transport is weak, it's very complementary. Um, so that's sort of interesting. And that, and that gets to, the, of course, you know, the broader part of Transdev's business. Uh, obviously, you know, you're a huge conglomerate. You operate public transport for a number of cities. 
And in the United States, uh, there was a recent report by Transit Center, I believe, that you know that basically transit ridership fell in 31 of the 35 largest cities in the United States. And and people like Jarrett Walker of Human Transit are calling it a crisis. That this is a that, you know where American transit's in crisis mode because people are already, of course, shifting to more and more car ownership. Um, so autonomy could could accelerate that. Uh, Transit recently did a whole study uh, or, or poll, I should say, of, of transit leaders around the United States, and um, I'm curious how you could sort of summarize their moods of this. Uh, you know, NACTO just recently concluded in Los Angeles, LA Commotion's coming up. There's lots of discussion uh, around this area. Um, did you find them feeling optimistic, pessimistic? Uh, how do they hope to sort of reverse this slide, which has been several years in the making? We know bus ridership has been falling across the United States, for example. Um, so where do, where do you think are the best uh, possibilities, opportunities to, to create gains in ridership for transit? I mean, first, you're right. I mean, uh, the ridership is declining in the U.S. almost everywhere. If you look at the numbers, if you compare 2017, uh, the last full year that we uh, that we know, and about and uh, 2016, only four cities in the U.S. didn't see their ridership declining, and it's Seattle, Phoenix, Houston, and uh, New Orleans. So that's not a lot. If you compare uh, those numbers to Europe, it's uh, you see there a very different situation. In France, for example, all all or almost all the transit agencies see their ridership increasing, and uh, probably two major reasons for that. The first one is that funding is much higher in uh, in, in those um, European cities than in the U.S. Uh, we made uh, recently a survey. We asked uh, the uh, the, the, the transit agencies in many countries, especially in the U.S. and Canada, uh, what are your challenges? And in the U.S. and Canada, first rank is uh, funding. Uh, people believe that uh, they are short of fundings and that it is a major issue. And if you look at the numbers, the difference is quite high uh, between uh, between Europe and, 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 and North America. Uh, it's probably and certainly not the, uh, the, uh, the only reason why ridership is declining in the U.S. and increasing in, 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 uh, in, um, in Europe. One other reason is that all the modes that we speak about, private car, transit, TNCs, or, or bikes, or everything, uh, they are complementary at some point, but they are also in competition. Uh, they are in competition because the street is the street, and uh, the space is limited, so at some point, uh, if a lot of space is dedicated to cars and not to other modes, car will be the dominant uh, mode of transportation. In Europe, a lot of um, elected officials have decided to reduce, in some places quite dramatically, the space dedicated to cars. Uh, and that's also a strong lever to uh, encourage the, uh, the, the, the use of other modes, especially the uh, public transport, but also walking, biking, and uh, all the new uh, micro, micro mobility services that we know about now. Interesting. Well, well, getting to that is, you know, bringing up micro mobility. There is, um, I'm, I'm curious, you know, what Transdev has seen and continue to develop in this notion of mobility as a service, right? I mean, you know, we've been talking for several years the notion that, yeah, the public transport operators or, 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 you know, or city agencies, DOTs, would develop this overarching system for it. And instead, we're interested. We're seeing these interesting combinations now, where Uber is partnered with Masabi uh, to sell tickets on public transport. Lyft has signed a deal in Santa Monica. Uh, I believe with Traffy to, to basically show within its app public transport stops. Um, how, how is Transdev approaching this, you know, in terms of, you know, creating these systems that allow these combinations of modes and how do you think that'll develop? Do you think the cities 
uh, will take ultimate agency and do this, or will the private operators integrate public transport into their particular offerings? It seems like that's what Uber and Lyft are doing now, particularly now that they've invested in, in uh, or bought Jump for electric bicycles and purchasing Motivate to do uh, shared bicycles as well. Um, so how's, how's Tronstep positioning itself in that? Oh, you know, yeah, they're, they're a very different model. And, and, and at Transev, we are one of the leaders in uh, of mass, of mobility as a service. We have been investing in that field for years. And, uh, yeah, we have a, a full uh, subsidiary called Cityway, which is fully dedicated to, um, I mean, to this, uh, to this uh, kind of, uh, of products. Yes, um, we have realized uh, a few years ago, like uh, anyone now, uh, that um, no single mode of transportation is able alone to compete against private car. Uh, the car is, is really great. I mean, uh, it's uh, always accessible if you have it in your garage. Um, it's, uh, you can leave uh, your stuff in it. You can, uh, you can uh, use it for short distances, for long distances. There are many parking lots everywhere in the country. So that's a great mode. And so if we want to limit its use, uh, it's quite complicated just with public transport, just with TNCs, just with taxi. And, but all those modes together, they really have the power uh, to compete against the uh, private car, uh, privately owned, and, uh, and uh, the, the, the single occupancy uh, uh, trips. And um, so that's why we have uh, developed in many cities now uh, mobility as a service uh, product, uh, services, where people can um, book, uh, can plan first, can book, uh, multimodal uh, journeys and pay, uh, for example, at the end of the month on a single invoice, uh, parking lots, uh, transit, uh, ride-sharing services, and many other modes of transportation, depending on the cities where you are. It can be uh, uh, more or less services, but in the end, uh, it's a global um, set of uh, alternatives to the private car. What what holds what what are the what are the obstacles in terms of scaling it up, right? Because this is of course the biggest challenge for individual cities is that you know they can develop really innovative solutions like yours, um, and they get deployed at very local levels. Where someone like a bird, for example, just to highlight them, since they you know fastest company to a billion dollar valuation, I think I saw yesterday they deployed to seventy five cities in just the past few months. So they have this incredible advantage of of sort of horizontal scaling. Um, you know, yeah. What are the opportunities here, just to basically take your solutions and bring this to the various cities and try to speed speed up their adoption? Um, because this has always struck me as the problem. Public transit agencies just operate much more slowly because of procurement contracts and, of course, small p and large p politics. Um, yeah, how can we how can we make this bigger and faster? I guess I mean, any particular lessons there for public transit agencies? Yes. Uh... Indeed, um, mobility, as a, mobility as a service uh, options are not really scalable for several reasons. And the main one is data. Uh, if you want to aggregate all the data of all the services in a city, I mean, all the data are coming with different formats. There is no no standard in, in this uh, in this field, unfortunately. So in each new city where you are, if you want to provide this kind of services, um, you have to uh, meet each service provider, understand their data format, uh, aggregate everything, being able also to manage you know, payments, which is uh, real-time information payments. All of this is quite complex. And, um, and finally, there is the question of the licenses. Um, because uh, even if you get the data, uh, the exact usage that you can do 
with them, even with open data, there is usually a license attached to it. And if you start uh, at the scale of one city to manage different kinds of licenses, in the end, it's also quite complicated to see what you can do, cannot do. And it's, uh, it's, it's very tailor-made, it's city by city. So that's why, yes, today, uh, uh, those mass services are not scalable. Uh, some companies do it, but with a limited set of services that they provide themselves. But if you really want to provide a global uh, mass product at the scale of a large city, uh, there is no doubt uh, it's complicated because of this question of data and uh, and data format and licenses. Has, has Transdev done any particular work around writing standards for this sort of thing? And are you hopeful for some of the offerings out there? So regular listeners of this podcast know that we've had Salita Reynolds of LADOT and Gabe Klein of City5, formerly Washington, Chicago DOT, and they both talked about uh, Salita's you know, mobility data specification, which Los Angeles is going to do to create sort of these shared data formats. Um, and, you know, and others have sort of pushed uh, shared streets, for example, just received investment from Uber and Lyft and Ford to create a standardized data format for pickups and drop-offs for ride hailing. So, um, yeah, I, I'm, are you hopeful for the that we're about to have some sort of standards here? Is, is Transdev working with cities to develop some standards to try to get this going? Or, um, yeah, or, you know, how, how do we sort of break through that, that obstacle? Yeah, we work on those topics for the exact reason that you mentioned and, and we spoke about a bit earlier. Yes, uh, if we want to have those products which are uh, to become scalable and, and in the end more efficient and less costly, which is uh, which is also a good way to uh, to uh, to provide better products, uh, we need those formats. So yes, we welcome all those initiatives. We have launched some of them ourselves. Uh, in the past, the goal is really to, uh, to find a way in our industry to be able to manage uh, data in a standardized format. If not, it will continue to be, a, again, a difficult exercise at, at the scale of, uh, of each city. And it doesn't mean that we cannot do it, uh, because with some experience now, uh, we have a lot of, uh, of software uh, which have been developed uh, at Transdev, which are middleware uh, to make, you know, to create those communication uh, interfaces between uh, basically what's available on the market and, uh, and, and the, 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 the mass platform that we develop. Um, if I take one example, which is for, uh, which is uh, taxi services, taxi companies do not have, uh, I mean, on the market, there are a few dispatch systems. You have a few of them, you don't have hundreds of them. So at some point, uh, we have developed all the interfaces with the, uh, the major system. So we are able to, uh, to develop uh, today uh, quite easily uh, mobility as a service uh, product, including uh, taxi. But as mentioned, it's not enough to really want to, uh, to, uh, to, to offer a better product uh, at a cheaper cost, yes, we need standard. Yeah, no, it's funny. I mean, I know I'm a transit nerd because, uh, you know, it, it's, it's very sexy to talk about uh, ride hailing or scooters or any of that. And like the real work that has to be done is all on that middleware layer of joining this all together. So uh, it's boring and yet it's absolutely essential. Um, I want to come back to, to Uber and Lyft for a moment because as of several years ago, you know, Transdev, uh, you know, very took a pub, very public hard line uh, against Uber and Lyft uh, and, and sort of fighting scorched earth tactics against Uber at the time. And, and of course, you know, as I mentioned earlier, you know, now with their various bike, bike acquisitions and of course new CEO at, at Uber, um, you know, they're taking a much more sort of a, a, a more gentle role, a kinder, gentler uh, uh, ride hailing companies. And I'm curious about, you know, your thoughts on, from Transdev's perspective about, you know, do you will you find yourself working with these companies in the future? And there's, of course, also the the, the scooter startups as well. I'm curious how you think that the role of um, 
you know, multiple mobility managers in various markets will continue to evolve. Ford, for example, is trying to build this out. They're very public about that as well, too. So it seems like, you know, uh, yeah, you're gonna have a lot more sort of competition. I mean, do you think there'll be data silos uh, or, or competitive silos, right? Like the idea that there will be a, an Uber ecosystem and a Lyft ecosystem and a Transdev ecosystem in a city, and they may not interoperate. Um, how do we avoid having, you know, these sort of um, closed, opaque systems? Um, you know, is that just a function of regulation? Is that open competition? Um, how do you see that evolve? Okay, uh, there are different uh, different aspects to your question. Um, first, um, before answering it, uh, we are not exactly you know um, you, you are speaking about silos of data. We are not exactly in the same position as uh, as TNCs or other companies. I mean, in our business, our core business is public transport. We work for uh, a transit agency, so our data is their data. We, there is no silo of data for Transdev. Uh, we, we, we share everything, of course, because we have a contract. If people want, uh, and if, if some cities want a strong or uh, a, a very attractive mobility as a service a product, um, there is no doubt that uh, they will have to get involved and, 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 and somehow ask or force all the players um, uh, running uh, in their territories to, to share their data. Uh, it, it has been uh, happening already in, in some places, as you, as you have seen. I mean, uh, in, in some cities, even in the U.S., uh, Uber is sharing its data uh, because uh, because uh, it was the uh, the condition to be able to continue to operate there. So, I strongly believe that in many places, yes, data will be made available. At least a certain uh, type of data will be made available to the elected official, to the transit agencies, so that it will open the possibility to develop very strong uh, mass product. In other places, it might be different, and uh, we might have different silos. We know, uh, as mentioned before, um, no mode of transportation is perfect to serve any kind of uh, mobility. So it's really the combination of all the modes, which is very powerful, that's why we invest and we strongly believe in, in mobility as a service, as the future uh, of our uh, cities. Um, and uh, one key enabler of that is the sharing of data. Well, great. We're almost out of time. So as one last question, Jan, I'm curious, you know, in, in, in all of these issues, mobility as a service, the data, um, you know, given Transdev's global scope, what cities do you think are doing it best? Are, are there any in the United States that are close to really sort of uh, achieving a fully empowered version of this? Obviously, LA Commotion believes LA is the future in this, and with Measure M, Metro has the has the funding stream to really build out its systems. Um, but, you know, I, I mean, around the world, I mean, I know I personally in research look at the Finns with what WIM is trying to do in Helsinki. I noticed that Singapore is now launching multiple MOS platforms, and of course, you know, do places like Dubai have grand ambitions. Uh, and of course, many European cities have strong systems. Um, but yeah, when you when you look around, what are the exemplars? What are what are Transdev's most fully actualized clients um, that are really sort of leading the way on this? And and are there others that you know that we just haven't been paying attention to? So there are many of them uh, which are already uh, at the forefront of innovation, and and, and yes, mostly of them uh, today uh, are in Europe for the reason that I mentioned before, which is that uh, investment for public transport and mass product uh, is much higher in Europe than uh, than globally, I mean, on average in the US. I don't want to make it uh, too general, but uh, uh, that's what we see. And and so uh, in some cities like uh, Mulhouse, um, 
uh, today, uh, we have launched a, a product which is very successful in the Saint-Étienne too. So uh, in a few words, how do they work? Um, uh, they are really mass products thanks to which you, you, you can so book uh, I mean, plan your trip for first, uh, a multimodal trip to understand how you can go from A to B, what are the different options, combining different modes with real-time information. And, and on top of real-time information, now we also add predictive information. Uh, because if you start your trip now uh, and in, it in, should in, in, end in one hour, in one hour the traffic condition might be very different and, and, and the best option to get there might be uh, not what uh, uh, you believe depending on the uh, relying on the uh, real-time information of now. So we work on those uh, trip planners, real-time, predictive. Uh, those services in those cities also offer the possibility to book many modes and to pay all of them with a single invoice at the end of the month. That's the case in Mulhouse, for example, and that's quite uh, attractive. Um, for example, if you take uh, the, uh, the, the transit system today in that city, like in many other places, you have the single ride ticket, the daily pass, you can have a, a weekly pass or a monthly pass. And when you buy it, you might not always know, yeah, how much tickets am I going to buy uh, this month? Uh, you might have a business trip which is unplanned. You have bought a monthly pass, and in the end, you don't use it a lot because you are out of town. Or on the contrary, you start to buy a single ride ticket, and at some point, say, "Hey, I have bought already a lot of them. I should have bought a monthly pass." Well, I made the bad choice. So here, what we do, uh, as everything is uh, is, uh, is done uh, thanks to the uh, smartphone, at the end of the month, we know exactly how much. Uh, trips you did, and we apply to you the best uh, price possible depending on what you really consumed. If you did only uh, one or two or three trips, we are going to charge you those single rides. If you did more than 30 or 40, you would get charged the uh, monthly pass, for example. Fascinating. That's really interesting bringing that to there. Yeah, I'm a big believer in the notion that um, you know that mobility, uh, public trans public transport, is fundamentally sort of I, I perhaps if not mispriced but mispackaged in the sense of you know people generally accept their data plans as a cost of cost of reality and they think the same way with their cars that there's some cost. But uh, the notion of forcing people to pay every single time and have that pain point, I think, is a big inhibitor to public transport. So so yeah, it's taking taking away that mental pain point is uh, is obviously a huge help. Um, well, great. Well, thank you so much, Jan. We're, I'm afraid we're out of time, but thank you so much for joining us. And I should note here, of course, that Transdev uh, is a loyal supporter of, of uh, LA Commotion last year and coming back from this year's edition and, and having Transdev's autonomous shuttle uh, last year's installment was a big hit of the festival. So, um, so we can't wait to have you back, Jan. And yeah, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Well, for listeners, please come back soon. We will have more installments of the LA Commotion Mobility Podcast. Thank you all so much.